All right. All right. Let's pray real quick, and then we're going to get into this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, God. And as we get into your word, God, it gives us revelation of who you are. God, we thank you that you are present with us today, and you are just, um, you're just revealing who you are to us as we, as we read these scriptures, as we hear what you have to say, God. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, uh, we, did, we started with our foundations a couple weeks back. We did, we did all, all of our foundations, and we're just, really, I just want to kind of go over, um, we don't really do this that often, um, just because most of you can read. Um, <laughs> so um, our, our basic core beliefs are on our website, so you guys can go and, and read those anytime you want, but I'll read them for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I wanted to really look at um, some of the core beliefs of what we believe as a, as a body. Um, and, you know, some of the, the basic um, foundational Christian things are this, is there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the Trinity. God is three persons. Some people will say that there's, you know, God and he has three different personalities. No, God is, is three persons, but he's one God. And the Scripture uses, um, you have to, to look at the Scripture. You could read Scripture. You've ever read Scripture and you go, it doesn't make sense. But until you look at the, the words that they're saying and say, well, how are they saying that? Then it starts to make sense to you. You know what I mean? When you start to dive into not just what they're saying, but the verbiage that they're using and the way that they're presenting it is how you start to realize what is happening and how God is, is working. So, the scripture uses plural pronouns for the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So uh, in Genesis, and I, I refer to this scripture a lot, is Genesis one twenty six, and then God said, let's make, let us make man in our image, us in our. It's not one person and he has different, different functions. This is God in three separate things, but he's all still one God. So he says, Let, let's us, that's, that's not me, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. In Genesis eleven seven. it says, come, let us go, us, it says us, let us go and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. It talked about the Tower of Babel. And then in Isaiah 6, verses 8, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture, so either take notes because I'm not going to be reading all of it. I'm just going to be referring to little passages here and there. Um, Isaiah 6, 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? So if you ever notice that it, it, when, when God is doing something, he always speaks in the, God, uh, in the Father. He always speaks as the Father, but he says, Who's going to go for us? Who will speak for us? Whom shall I send and who will speak for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. So we have the Father God, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All persons, all distinct roles in their actions. Think about this. God didn't come down and be crucified to the cross. His Son came down and was crucified. God didn't come down and enter the upper room. The Holy Spirit, who is God, entered the upper room and filled them with the Spirit. So they all are persons with distinct roles. We all, you know, it, think about it. In your jobs, you have a distinct role usually. You know, you usually have a title. 
And it's the same way with, with God. He has a title. And each separate part of God has a different title. But each person is fully God. A lot of confusion, a lot of the, the mindset in the world today as well. This is just, you know, this is just a, a part of God that he just works with. And he, he might send this, per, the Holy Spirit is just the spirit that God sends. No, this is God working. Here's the thing is, we cannot have revelation from God unless God is part of revelation from God. So if God is just sending his, some random spirit to talk to us, that, how are we supposed to get revelation from God? We get revelation only and specifically from the Father and the, the Trinity. So it can be a little confusing sometimes. Sometimes it's like, okay, who, who am I praying to? Who am I talking to? You know, you're, you're, it's like, okay, do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray to God? You know, it, it, it gets a little weird sometimes. But in Matthew 3, verses 15 through 17, this is where we see, and one of the only times we see, all three of them present. And it says this, it says, But Jesus answered them, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for all of us, for us to fulfill all righteousness. What did he say? It's for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and they saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove resting on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, for whom I am well pleased. So in one setting, those people watching that baptism, can you imagine that? Standing there at the the river, watching Jesus come up, you see the Son of God come up, the heavens open up, That'd be weird enough as it is. That'd freak you out enough as it is. But then the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and resting upon Jesus, filling him, empowering him. And then you hear a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. After that, you can't not believe. You cannot not see what you, didn't see, what you just saw. There, there's no way. But you see God in all three distinct characteristics of who he is showing up. All of them were 100% God. And it's sometimes it, it, you think about it, it's like, how can God be three different people but still be one God? And, it, and it, it's, it's, sometimes it's a little confusing. I even got confused. I was sitting there taking notes, I'm like, and I'm like reading it, I'm like, wait a minute. And I had to start to reread some things in order to find out, in, in order to figure it out. Just to let you know, I told my wife, I said, I have like five pages. And she said, can you make it two? And I said, no, I can't make it two, but I'm going to uh, make it two. Um, this is kind of my jam when I have four books opened up and I'm going through the Greek, I'm going through foundational. Yeah, that's my jam. Yeah. So, yeah, I got a little excited on this one. So this is a, almost seven pages, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, burden you guys with that all today. So you guys will be out of here by two. Um, So, all right. So God is three persons. Each person is fully God. They have different functions, but equal, but relate to each other differently. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that again. They have different functions, but equal functions. Not, one is not lesser, one is not more. God is, the Holy Spirit is 100% God in his function 
and he is not subservient to Jesus. He's not subservient to the Father. He is 100% equal, but in a different role. They're equal, but relate different in their relationship and function differently, but are essentially the same. They're essentially the same God, but in a different role. Think about this. They, they work differently with each other. Now, think about this. The temptation of Jesus, what does it say? It says the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. It doesn't say the Father led him into the wilderness. It doesn't say the Father told him to go to the wilderness. It says the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. It showed him where to go. So I'm going to um, talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit today. And I'm going to talk about the sun a little bit today. So the world has a misconception about the sun. Uh, there's a lot of different religions that believe he was just a prophet or he was just a, a really nice guy who um, started a movement and that he was sent from God, but he wasn't 100% God. He was just a, a, a messenger from God. He was a prophet just like you know Isaiah and Jeremiah and different things like that. And that's not true. He was 100% God, and he was 100% man. Think about that. God in flesh. 100% God living in a mortal body. Think about the constraints that God had to put on himself, the Son had to put on himself in order to be in that body. He wasn't constrained in his faith. He wasn't constrained in the miracles he worked. But think about this. You're talking about a a being who is not constrained by anything, and he puts himself in a human body. That misconception that he was, you know, 50% this and 50% that. No, he was 100% God, but he was 100% man, living and breathing just like we are. It's still hard to wrap your head around if you think about that. That God would take human form. But it really does show you that the love that he has for us, that he would send his son into, basically he would tell his son, hey, I'm going to boot you out of heaven for now. You're going to go to earth. You're going you're to spend 33 years there. And you're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to have joy. You're going to see thousands of people healed but you're going to be constrained for 33 years to fulfill my will. So Philippians 2, 5. This is verses 5 through 11. It says, In our relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather be him... Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself be, by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about this. In that scripture, it gives him four different titles. He is God. He is man. He is Savior. And he is Lord. 
That's a lot to take in right there. That is a lot of titles right there. He is God. He is man. He is above all things. He was on earth, and he is God above all things and under all things. He was on earth as man. He was on earth as Savior, and he rose up to be Lord. Hebrews 1, 3 through 6 says this, Going through a long line of prophets, God has been addressing our ancestors in different ways for centuries. Recently, he spoke to us directly through his son. By his son, God created the world in the beginning, and it will all belong to the son at the end. The son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says. Powerful words. So, think about this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is, a, that is a reference back to Genesis when God saw that there was nothing, and he spoke. And what, what, what did he do? What, what, what happens when you speak? What do you say? You say words. So when God spoke, the Word went out. And who was that? That was Jesus Christ. And the Word went out and started to create earth. And the Spirit was dwelling over the earth and over the waters. So he says that he created something for us. The son perfectly mirrors God. Jesus said to the, was saying, they said, um, who do you claim to be? And who do, who do you think you are? And who is the father? Who, who, how do we know who the father is? And when Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen my father. You've seen God. So a couple other, I took a, I went and opened up four other translations of this uh, passage, Hebrews 1, 3 through 6, and it says this, I'm just quoting these little areas, it says, he is an exact expression of God's true nature, a mere image of him. An exact representation of God, the express and very character of God. So when we see the Son, he is not just the Son of God, and I'm here to give you a message from my Father, he is directly giving you a message from himself because he is God. He's an exact expression of who God is. You know, I, I, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, when you have kids and your kids look like you when you were young or whatever, and like, oh, just a clone of him. No, he wasn't a clone. He's an exact representation of who God is in his own distinct person. You know, think about it. We have our children. They look like us. And it's like, oh, yeah, it looks like, but they're, they're, they have their own personalities. They have their own whatever. They're all distinct. Even though they may look like us, they're never going to be exactly like us. But Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. An exact expression of who he is, I am. There's no, well, he, he's an exact expression except for this, this, and this. And Jesus wasn't saying, when you see my face. He's saying, when you see my actions, when you see what I do, you've seen the Father. Problem is, is we try to put a face on God. Well, what did God look like? What did Jesus look like? Was he the blonde surfer guy in some of the paintings from the 1700s? Or was he, you know, did he look more Arabic? Whatever, you know, and it's like, no, when we see Jesus, think about this, when he comes back for us, when we see Jesus, it's not going to be like blonde surfer Jesus, you know, and he's got the flip-flops on. He's like, what's up, dude? Uh, no, it's not going to be that. It's going to, when we see Jesus, not his face, who he is. Yeah. 
When we see Jesus, it's not about seeing his face. It's about seeing who he is. And when he comes back to, to take us, we're going to see him and we're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is who he is. What I read was true. So when we see, when Jesus was saying, when you see me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't lying. He wasn't saying, well, you've seen a little bit. No, he was saying, you've seen everything of God. When you see what I've done, you've seen what God would do. When you see what I have done, when you see me lay hands on the sick and they recover, when you see me raise people from the dead, this is an exact expression of who God is. When you see people get healed, that is an exact expression of who God is. It's not, well, you know, maybe God did it. Maybe it was just, you know, maybe just, you know, the body did this. No, it's exact expression of who God is. People write off miracles like, well, it was, maybe it's just your body was, you know. No, that is an exact expression of who God is on this earth and his nature for us and towards us. But what we don't do is we don't give him credit for that. Well, God did this. Well, yes, but how did it happen? And that's where, uh, we're not going to get into the Father today, but we're going to briefly touch on the Holy Spirit. And because I've got four pages of just the Holy Spirit. So um, we may turn this into a class. Um, you know, once I jumble all of my thoughts together and kind of organize them into somewhat uh, legible and um, understandable things beyond my own understanding of what is here. So John 16, verses 7 through 9. John 16, 7 through 9. Um, this is the ESV. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. For I do not go away. For if I do not go away, excuse me, the helper will not come. But to you, if I go, I will send him to you. Again, he says, I'm sending you someone else. Completely God. Completely part of who God is, but I'm sending you someone else. And he called him him. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. I want to touch on that real quick. It doesn't say he's going to judge the world. It says he will convict the world of what? Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I want to I want to say this to you guys because I know every one of you have dealt with this at one point. You might have someone that knows you are a Christian, and they hate you because of it. They, you've never talked to them, you've barely even spoke to them, but for some reason they hate you and they just don't want to be around you. It is not you; it is the Holy Spirit because He was sent to convict the world of sin. And they will see your righteousness being, and be convicted of it. They, I've had people that are like, we just hate you because you talk about Jesus. They don't know why. It's just you talk about Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is moving in the world. Here's the thing is, when Jesus was, said, I'm se- I am sending you someone else, he's saying that as the Father, because he is one God. And he's saying someone else is coming and what he is going to do is he's just going to come and he's going to be on the earth. Here's the thing is you, the Holy Spirit is everywhere, every moment, every time, no matter what. You're, think about this. 
when your kids are doing something bad when they're little, what do they do? They, they go and they hide somewhere thinking, if mom and dad can't see me, it's okay, right? My two kids once hid in our pantry and ate a bunch of 35% daily fiber of your fiber bars, and they both had like three or four of them, and the whole pack was gone. The repercussions from that, they felt for a couple days. But it was great. But what did they do? They hid. They're like, if you can't see me, I can't. if you, I, my mom and dad see me, it's okay. Holy Spirit is there always. When you're like, I just want to tell them off. And he's like, hey, guess what? I'm still here. You're like, oh, I can't do that. The Holy Spirit is there convicting. He's floating over the, just like he was over the surface of the earth when creation was, he is there. And he is convicting. And that's why we're seeing people that are hostile to the gospel because they are being convicted of the sin that they have in their life and that there is righteousness and judgment coming in the end. It's because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit and what his role is. John 14, 26, it says he is a helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, this is before he was talking to his disciples, this is earlier, says the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Think about this. Wives, you say something to your husband. They answer you. Yep, got it. And then two days later, you're like, hey, did you do that? And you're like, what? I don't remember that. Did you even say anything to me? My wife's looking at me like every day. The story of her life. So, and all wives are nodding in agreement and saying something, or mothers or whatever. But think about this. Jesus taught his disciples for three years, but how did they keep on remembering what he said? It's because of the Holy Spirit. He was the helper. He was bringing to remembrance the things that Jesus said. Okay, they didn't write the Gospels while Jesus was alive. They wrote them after he was gone. So how did that happen? How do, you, how do you get that much information into four books? Four different books. It's because the Holy Spirit brought to the remembrance of testimonies of things that had happened. Nehemiah 9.20. Yes, the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament. He did work in the Old Testament. We just don't see him uh, in the same light that we see him in the New Testament. So Nehemiah 9.20 says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You, your manna did not, you did not withhold from their mouth and you gave them water for their thirst. So the Holy Spirit was there to instruct them. Matthew 10, 19 through 20. Spirit of, the, spirit of your father who speaks in you. Romans 8, the spirit himself testifies. So the spirit what, does what? He's a helper. He is an instructor. He speaks to us and he testifies of God's glory. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, he is a helper and he intercedes for us. Second Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 says that he is, reveals things to us and he searches things in us. I'm going to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. This is from the Passion Translation because I, it broke it down just a little bit in, a, in a, um, an easy way. It says, the Spirit is to one the gift of, of the word of wisdom. He gives gifts. To the other, 
word of revelation and knowledge. The other, gift of faith, gift of healing, the power to work miracles, gift of prophecy, gift to discern the Spirit. Excuse me, gift to discern what the Spirit is speaking, speaking in different tongues, gift of interpretation of tongues. Remember, the same Holy Spirit who distributes, activates, and operates these different gifts as he chooses for each believer. So he gives gifts. God is always, I I talked about this a couple years ago, and I talked about the gifts that Jesus gave us. You know, we talk about Jesus, we talk about salvation, but really salvation was the starting point of what he did for us. So God gave his son as a gift for us to become peace, so we could have peace. He became sickness for us. He became death for us. Or excuse me, he took death for us. But Jesus not only took our, first thing he did is this, is he became a peace offering. He was a peace offering between us and God. He bore our sickness, which was one gift. He took our pain, which was another gift. And then he took death for us. But then what did he do after that? So there's three, right, three things that are right there that Jesus did for us. Then he went to hell for us. And then what happened after that is he went and rose again so we could live forever. So here's the thing is he could have just went to, to hell and, 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 and won, but if he didn't rise again, Jesus could have went down there as a spirit and defeated Satan but if he didn't rise again, where would our resurrection be? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He could have just given us life, but he gave us resurrection too. So what he did is this, is he, he said, you know, I'm not just going to go down there and, and open a can on Satan. I'm going to come back to life and then they will have exactly what I have. So that gift he continued to give us was beat death, we were allowed to resurrect, and then he gave us the gift of being with the Father. Did we go with the Father? Think about this. Philip is on the road, and he's walking in Acts. He's walking down the road, and the Spirit, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit comes and says, hey, see that chariot over there that's just kind of parked under that shade tree? Go talk to that dude. So he comes up on this guy, and he's reading... I'm sorry, I don't remember the book of Isaiah, if I remember correctly. Um, and he's trying to figure out what it's saying. Philip's over there, and Philip's like, hey, let me interpret this for you. And so what does he do? He interprets it for him. The guy gets born again. Think about this. This guy had enough pull and power to have a scroll of that book. Think about the, the prestige that he had to be able to Buy one, take one, whatever it was, he had the power to do that. So he's standing there and he's looking at this going, what does this mean to me? What does this, how does this apply to me? And the Spirit of the Lord just says, Philip, hey, you're walking. Just go, go talk to that guy. And I, I really think that, that that passage of Scripture is key for us. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He instructs. He's a helper. Think about this. That passage sums up pretty much everything that Philip was doing. He was a helper. He helped that guy understand. He helped that guy understand what was going on. Philip instructed him how to be born again. 
The Spirit spoke to him so he could understand how to be born again. And what happened was he was born again and he testified to what God had done. The Holy Spirit is not just this unique little thing that floats around like Casper the ghost and God just says, go, and he goes. It's not that way. It doesn't work that way. When the Holy Spirit comes to you and he is ministering to you, that is God ministering to you. Yes, it is the, it isn't in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, but it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit ministering to you because he is God. Jesus ministered and he said, hey, you know, I'm doing a good job, but I'm sending you someone better. He said, I'm sending you a better gift. I'm sending you something that is better than me being here. Think about this. If we had the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, if we had Jesus on earth today, his inbox would be about 7 trillion emails. His appointment book would be about this thick. And everybody in the world would want to be talking to Jesus. Baptize me. Pray for me. Heal me. Jesus is like, no. I'm going away because I need to go back. Think about this. He rose again, and he didn't go back to the Father. He came back. Where did he come back? He came back to where he was located. He came back to Israel, and he spent some time with people. And then he went back to the Father. So what he was doing is this, is he was waiting to spend some time with them, and then he was bringing the sacrifice back to the altar saying my blood has been shed for them it's over when jesus said it is finished on the cross he didn't mean i'm done i'm ready to die he was saying what i was sent here for for the last three thousand years of humanity and for the next however long is going to be my work is finished. I have paid the ultimate price. My work is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. So Jesus is, is sending the Holy Spirit to us because it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit than Jesus. Think about this. If, if the Holy Spirit was not present on earth right now, Jesus could not come and pray with everybody. He could not. You imagine the healing line at his. You think Billy Graham had big. Uh, R- Billy Graham and Reinhardt Bonnke had big uh, services. Can you imagine if Jesus said, Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to be at this stadium and I'm going to have it. The waiting list would be into other states. But Jesus said, Okay, I can't come and I can't lay hands. I can't, okay, so th- Jesus can't do this. I can't do this. This, this, this. Bless you, my child. <laughs> um, he can't wait on every person to come to him and be healed. He can't listen to everybody's sorrows. He can't, think about this, Mary, Martha, they're like, why didn't you show up when Lazarus was sick? Think about this. What's a better miracle, raising from the dead or healing the sick? I'll cho- I, I mean, I'll take healing the sick any day, but raising the dead, Jesus is like, I want to show you my, my true power. Not that I don't love Lazarus, but by the time I get back to him and, t- and touch him, I'm probably not going to be able to do it. 
But Jesus said, I'm going to raise him from the dead. So when Jesus said, I'm sending you someone better, he's like, the Holy Spirit is here because I can't be present with you. But my spirit is with you. The, the, the spirit of the, of the living God, the resurrection power, that it was in Jesus lives in us, is empowering us because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and lives on us. So when, when Jesus says, I can't imagine when Jesus is walking from city to city. They said he probably had at least a thousand followers that would just follow him from place to place. Either he would, there's somebody that got uh, healed by him or something like that, and they would just follow him. You know, there's one passage of Scripture that says, and the, the, the leper, or excuse me, not leper, the, the crippled man cries out, oh, son of David, heal me. They just knew who he was. In their spirit, they knew who he was. But Jesus said, I can't be that anymore. That's not my, I fulfilled my role. I fulfilled what I've, my Father has sent me to do. So he says, I'm sending you someone better, and the Holy Spirit is now going to live in you, dwell on you, and work on the face of the earth. But what it does is this. It allows us to lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. It allows us to pray with a person and receive salvation. It, it allows us to now have the Spirit of the living God dwell in us, empower us, and not be like, well, uh, we just got to go to this person and they're going to pray for us. What I hate is, and you'll never really see this that often, is we don't have prayer partners. You know, the people up there with the cool badges and they look like they know a lot and like they're, they're like, you know, look like they've been praying for 400 years. No, we, we have people that are sitting in chairs that have that same power living in them that can pray with you, me, whatever it is. So the Holy Spirit is a better gift than Jesus on earth. It says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we are God's children. We have rights and we have privileges and we have access. So when the Holy Spirit is living in us, he says, oh, by the way, you get the same access that the Son of God has as children who have now been adopted into that. And what did Jesus say? He says, what was it? Um, Lesser things than, you, uh, than I did you will do. No, he said greater things you will do than I did. And he's talking about healing. He's talking about raising people from the dead. He's talking about delivering people from demonic possession and, and bondage. Jesus can't be a minister to everybody. He had a, God, the Father, had a better plan. He said, I'm going to send my son for a short period of time. He's going to do the work he needs to do. He's going to finalize the things that need to be finalized. And then, instead of... See, what was funny is this, is the devil didn't understand what the Father was doing when he sent Jesus. He thought, if I can kill Jesus, if I can get rid of his ministry, if I can get rid of what he's doing... I'll stop him. And, it, and God's just like, you dumb. <laughs> Your kids ever come up with a plan and you, they think they're sneaking around or doing something and you're just like, you're so dumb. I love you, but you're dumb right now. And that's the way God was when he was um, talking to the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's like, he thinks he's got it wrapped up. He thinks he's got it all pinned down, how he's going to finalize it. When a God sees all and knows all, 
and he and a created being one of his created beings tries to figure out how to work around him god's just like yeah you dumb the, the enemy thought he could pin it down and say, when I crucify Jesus, when I kill him, I'm going to stop the subduing of the earth. What did God say in Genesis? He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Subdue means to, to take and to wrestle down and to take back what it was. And he said, I need you to take back what I've created. So, the enemy tries to kill Jesus, and he's like, he's, oh, I've killed him. Great, I've done it. And then he rose again. But first he got a knock on his door and said, oh, hey, by the way, I'm here. And he's like, oh, crap, you're here. He said, you owe me something that is mine. Yeah. He took it back. But then he said, oh, and by the way, I'm going to rise again, so you have no power over that either. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, and then Jesus is like, by devil. And devil's like, oh, fine, he's gone. But then the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit did more in a couple days through people than Jesus did in his ministry. But think about that. That is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. It is the same Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. The gifts that he has given to us are for the use for the world. They're not meant for us to hold on to. You might be really good at something. You might be really good at teaching or preaching or whatever. It is not for you. That gift is for the world. That gift is for the world to hear because he has commissioned every one of us. He said, go and make disciples of all men. Jesus didn't make disciples of all men. He took 12. And he struggled with them a little bit too. He's, like, he's kind of like a parent, like you dumb right now. Um, but think about it. When the Holy Spirit came, the church grew immediately. It wasn't, well, you know, we, 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 had, we had two new visitors this week. No, it was the church grew by thousands. Because what happened was, is the disciples, who were kind of just ridiculous in the, in the Gospels, changed titles because of what the Holy Spirit did in them. They went from disciples to what apostles because there's something different about a person when the holy spirit comes into their life empowers them they become a different person not that anything about them is this change but what happens is the spirit dwells in them and think about this he helps them he instructs them he speaks to them he testifies to them he intercedes for them he reveals things for them and searches things in them. Jesus could not be there to remind his disciples every day. Remember what I did in this day. Remember what I did to that tree. Remember what I said to that person at church or when I was on the road or when I was healing these people. He couldn't remind them of them. What did the Spirit do? He came and he reminded them of who Jesus was because he is God. Just like Jesus is God and the Father is God and they are one but distinct personalities. I'm going to read this to you real quick and then we'll be done. This is just a little uh, quick blurb from my article. I said, do you know, this is Philippians 4.13, said, did you know that while you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, at the same time God created you to be deficient by design? 
you are deficient by design. You were created to bring our, your God-given gifts to interact with the efforts of others in order to accomplish his will. Just as the partnership with the Trinity, the Father plans, Jesus performs, and the Spirit perfects. God intended partnership in the body and the church. If you really want to accomplish his plan for your life, you'll have, soon realize this now or later that working with others is the roadmap to fulfilling divine destiny. Think about this. I love this part. It says, the Father plans, Jesus performs, and the Spirit perfects. That is a perfect um, picture of God as one, but with different personalities and different persons. They interact well with each other. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, but God said, this is my Son who I am well pleased with. Jesus didn't pray to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, if you can take this cup from me, let it pass. No, he said, Father, it is your will, not mine. He didn't say Holy Spirit because he, there's a, a, they work well with each other, but they work distinctly with each other. But that one's not less important than the other. There has to be unity, but separate in the same time. And it's hard to wrap your mind around sometimes. I, I still struggle reading some of these scriptures and like, how does he do that? Because he's not a created being. He is beyond our thoughts. He's beyond our mind of, of how he does things. I watch these science magazine or these science shows and read science magazines sometimes. I'm like, how do these people do this? It's because their intellect is so uh, driven in one way that they are, they're just, the, uh, they're a master at what they do. And it doesn't make sense to us. But think about this. God is a master at everything he does. And yes, there's three persons and we may not understand everything about it, but there's something in the mystery of not knowing. That knowing he is God and he's going to do what he does and he's going to say what he says and he's going to, to work how he works, but we just have to accept it. It can't be, well, until I see. It's funny because Thomas, when Jesus showed up and he said, I will only believe that he is risen when I can put my hand or my fingers in his hand and touch his side. Jesus shows up and Thomas falls on the ground and he says, you are my Lord and my God. He knew who he was. He knew he wasn't just Jesus. He was Lord and he was God Almighty. And I think that is where we have to look at it and say, you know, I may not understand everything about him, but reading about him, growing in who we know and who he is and knowing more about him is our job. Don't, le- don't let this be the end all of understanding who God is and what, how he functions and how he does things. Discover it for yourself. These scriptures are very readily available to everyone here. I'm just saying. So God is Father, he is Son, and he is Spirit. Distinct in their roles and actions, but each person is fully God. It's mind-blowing. I don't even understand it. I, I try not to... to you know what's funny is the more you try to understand God, the more you get into, to, um, the more you try to work it out in your own mind, the more, you try, the more it leads you off into not believing things. But when you, you rest in the mystery of God is who he is and he's going to do what he's going to do, there's just something safe about that. 
There's just something that's, that's, I don't even know. It's just hard to explain that there, he is who he is and he's just going to, if you rest in that, it's the easiest way to just be with God. Let's pray.